0: You want to get it going? Yeah. Welcome to No Hugging, No Learning.
1: It's a show about one thing, watching Seinfeld for the first time.
0: I'm Tim Murphy. I'm Ted Haldwell. And today we will be talking about Season 6, Episode 23, the season finale of Season 6, The Understudy. Uh, But before that, uh, we did have some homework and stuff to get to. Tim, I know that you typically start off talking about the homework, but I have a little homework myself. Unbeknownst
1: to you, I booked a secret guest for today's show.
0: Oh, I hope this is um, either. A, I'm expecting a Patrick Warburton cameo <laughs> that you bought. For, uh, it's gonna be a live cameo or um, uh, one of the monkeys that uh, one of the space monkeys.
1: I want you to know I bought you a cameo from Bette Midler. <laughs> yes! Oh my gosh, <laughs> Ted, that must have put you out thousands. <laughs> yeah, she's she, she's not on Cameo either, so I had to like I had to like track her down and uh, like put a gun to her head. It was. Uh, It was a very hairy
0: situation (laughs) that's amazing
1: last week i had the question that we wanted to find out why george idolizes not idolizes but his ideal relationship with a woman is one where he doesn't love her and she doesn't love him but you said he always wants to work to i i don't know work for her approval right
0: yeah but never ever getting it and i think he he wants to I don't. I wouldn't say that he doesn't want to love... He wants to be in love with a woman who doesn't love him back, that he's constantly trying to earn the approval of and yet will never, ever receive. That's his ideal relationship.
1: Exactly. And and something that you had never thought of that I just kind of brought up on, on the cuff was look at the lens of his parents' relationship between Frank and Estelle. That is what he's grown up with. So having a father and a mother who absolutely hate each other... Is totally normal for George. So I wanted to bring in, and I know last week I said I think he's almost a doctor, uh, but Doctor <laughs> Matt Craydel to talk about this.
0: What's up? Hey. So hey, so, Doctor Matt.
1: <laughs> so so Doctor Matt, <laughs> tell us uh, what you can tell us about like what is going on in George's head here. You are a doctor of psychology. I don't I don't know your your whole title.
2: I. PhD in psychology is is just about it. Uh, so, yeah, actually, uh, Ted, you gave me a little sneak preview of uh, your episode. So I had a chance to hear y'all's thoughts on uh, uh, George and his relationship. And I think y'all pretty much hit the nail on the head there. He has a not great relationship with his parents, and that's going to affect pretty much any relationship he has going forward in his adult life.
0: Yeah, so one thing that I wasn't even really focusing on the relationship between the parents, like obviously they dislike each other and that had an effect but what I took away from what you said, was that George's relationship with his parents is that he's constantly trying to get their approval Mm -hmm. and yet he will never do enough to please them and we've seen that time and time again when like even, you know, when he's done something very impressive, they're like, oh, big deal you know.
2: I think it's both I mean, so it's your relationships are modeled off of The first relationship you see which is presumably your parents and then at the same time it's it's modeled off of what relationship you have with your parents so the thing that came to mind for me specifically was there's something we call attachment style i'm not sure if that's something either of you has ever heard of Mm -mm. so attachment style is is this theory that that's still in play today um, from from ainsworth and Bowlby are the the psychologist and basically it says there there's four kind of types of attachment styles um, and so they, they basically vary on like how much anxiety you have around relationships and how avoidant you are about relationships. So would you all, I mean, you all know the show a bit better than I, would you say George is, is very anxious about his relationships or not very anxious about his relationship?
0: Uh, oh, no, I, he's always,
1: yeah, he's, he's pretty much like, always a, a ball of anxiety. Just, neurotic, yeah, yeah, just,
0: through just and through. agonizing over the minutiae of each <laughs> relationship. Yeah.
2: Uh, And then would you say he is more uh, someone who is avoidant about relationships or he is just throwing himself into them?
0: Hmm. Hmm.
1: In, In terms of, like, starting a new one or in terms of, like, talking to his partner about the relationship?
2: Um... I would say like engaging with his partners. Like is he someone who like he might be in a relationship, but he doesn't really want to like engage in the hard stuff or he's like going to be super neurotic and just like let's talk about it all the time.
1: Uh, He's going to be neurotic, but also uh, willing to like uh, avoid any any topic of anything having to do with said relationship. Does that make sense? So kind of both.
2: Yeah. So, so actually I think that that fits about right with what I was going to guess he is. So he, he would have what we call a fearful avoidant attachment style. So characterized (laughs) by a lot of uh, internal conflicts. So constantly in his head about his relationship, very dramatic, uh, unpredictable at times, ambivalent about his relationships. That, that seems to be a a kind of a good way to describe uh, George. He falls in that uh, anxious domain for sure. And then he's avoidant. So does that does that sound like George?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, he, he agonizes over it, but he refuses to communicate it with the actual person.
2: Yep. So I, I think I think y'all hit the nail on the head there in terms of if if his relationship with his parents is very uh, trying to seek love all the time, and that makes him very anxious, and and then uh, dealing with a lot of rejection in that sense, fearful, avoidant would would describe George.
0: So this may be a dumb question, but is that can that kind of relationship be healthy? Or is it always, it sounds unhealthy, like fearful avoidance are two, like, (laughs) positively connotated words, but, um, you know, like, just from a scientific standpoint, is that healthy? Uh, That's,
2: yeah, definitely not necessarily the
0: kind of thing you want to go in and see your
2: therapist and be like, (laughs) you're fearful avoidant. Um, Healthy is a, a flexible term. I think, you know, generally, if I. So, I mean, a lot of my work is psychotherapy, right? So if I'm seeing someone who is fearful avoidant and I figure out that that's their attachment style, then typically you're going to, you're going to have the best results in a relationship if you're paired with someone who has what we call a secure relationship style. So someone who's not very anxious about the relationships, who's not very avoidant, they'll talk about things when they come up. So George would do best in a relationship if it was someone who had a better relationship with their parents, who had a... Uh, not so much anxiety. um, But, you know, healthy, I don't know if I'd say it's healthy or unhealthy, but it's going to cause problems. And I I think that definitely is the case for George.
1: So you're saying his his ideal relationship would be someone who who has a, a, a good, a healthy relationship with two loving parents, correct?
2: Yes, uh if that exists uh in New York. Um but and then that would be that would be the polar opposite in terms of the scale uh the the exact opposite of George would be someone with secure loving relationships throughout their life. <laughs>
0: So uh, as we're going to go into season seven, we're going to see George enter into a, you know, a a more committed relationship, the most committed relationship he's ever been in. Um, But it sounds to me like the best mix for George of all his girlfriends that he's had so far would be like Krista Miller, who like literally didn't care. You know, he didn't have to do anything to please her because she was just happy to be with him. And Sienna from the last episode, who seemed secure in the relationship, even though she wasn't in, as in love with George as he was with her. She's like, oh, yeah, I know I heard you the first time, but I'm hungry, you know, so let's get <laughs> something to eat, um, which didn't seem avoidant to me. It just seemed matter of fact, you know?
2: Yeah, she I mean, that she may have been a perfect partner, but but George couldn't get past <laughs> what happened, which is his own uh, own business to deal with. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I mean, is that, let's, I mean, do you think that was a bit of um, like self sabotage? Can that happen in these types of relationships too with this kind of person?
2: Oh, sure. I mean, I, I think, you know, rather than have a engaged conversation with her about it and be like, well, I, you know, use I statements, I felt hurt when I, uh, you know, you didn't say it back. Instead, I mean, presumably, I, I haven't watched the episode. That y'all are talking about today, but presumably we never hear from this woman again. So George just shucked her off, said, (laughs) this is the end of it. Um, Go enjoy the zoo. um, And, and, and that would have been the healthy way to handle it. But that's, that's not our characters necessarily. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah, they do that a lot. They we just we never we get we never get to see the falling action in the relationship.
1: It, it, it's just uh, oh hey, it's another week. Oh yeah, I've been dating this woman for four months. Like the last episode yeah, yeah. was six days ago.
0: Because then the show would be about
2: something, right? Then it'd be about relationships. <laughs> then you'd be in, then you'd have then uh-huh. you'd have Cheers, but that, that's not,
0: <laughs> that's not Seinfeld. Friends, Black. Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I'll tell you that in just kind of in, in thinking about the show and and getting ready to. Uh, come chat with y'all there's a lot of stuff out there there's actually uh, uh, some professors out there who teach whole courses on like uh, i think one of the names of the courses was sigh and so like they they use they use these characters <laughs> oh as examples of like different psychopathologies I, I remember reading an article and they highlight newman in particular as being very disordered because he's just obsessed <laughs> with jerry um so there's there's a whole I, I don't know I know y'all were talking about the uh, psychology of uh, or the philosophy of Seinfeld. there's There's a great deal of stuff out there on the psychology as well.
1: I know uh, I, I wonder if there's like a master class uh, for the psychology of Seinfeld or, or or what is it? The great courses plus use, uh, use promo code NHNL and uh, and you'll get a, a free semester.
2: Hey, great courses. Call me. I'm your man. I'll do it.
0: By the way, when I first heard Seinfeld, I wasn't thinking P-S-Y. I was thinking S-I-G-H. <laughs> I was like, what? What does that have to do? <sighs> Seinfeld. <laughs> or, or just, uh, <sighs> Feld. The show about one thing and
2: one thing only. <laughs> Listening to Seinfeld and sighing about it. <laughs> and sighing about it.
0: Uh, can you believe these guys? Uh. Ugh. <laughs>
1: up with that <laughs> <laughs> oh my god
0: all right well I'm, i feel very informed so yeah. i I, think, I don't think i have any more questions
1: i don't either dr matt Crydell, phd of psychology thank you for enlightening us as to the uh, mental state of george costanza in regards to his relationship with women thank you very much for having PhD me in
0: scientology <laughs>
1: oh my god wait 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 s-e-i-n-tology scientology what if i told you that that would be
0: (laughs) p-s-y-n what if i I told you my
2: dissertation was on seinfeld
0: (laughs) was it that'd be amazing was it really
2: absolutely not no (laughs) something completely obscure that no one will ever read oh good (laughs) awesome
1: thanks man thanks y'all all right bye thanks
2: bye that was awesome
1: yeah, thanks, uh, Doctor Matt Crydell once again. So, so Tim, I, I think you you actually do have some homework this week.
0: Yes, yeah. So, from uh, the previous episode, the face painter in the beginning, Jerry talks about how the monkeys were probably like thinking space travel was a natural progression from what they were doing, which was dancing for an organ grinder, and now they're you know uh, in space. And just apropos of nothing, we started wondering if the monkeys ever came back. Cause I don't think they were. And if you really want to get depressed about uh, treatment of animals, go ahead and read that animals in space, Wikipedia page, because it is, um, Oh no. Is a downer.
1: <laughs> oh no. Did, did any of them animals. live? Did any of them come back?
0: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Eventually we got around to that. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so animals, being, they, they come back with varying success and here's the real disturbing part. There's a lot of parachute failures, And I feel like that's totally on us. Like, that's that's operator error. You know what I mean? Like, that's the easy part. I feel like they weren't putting a lot of work into the parachutes. Like, ah, uh, I think I packed it okay. If the monkey doesn't, oh, no. you know, I'm like, that's disappointing. That's easily preventable. It's not like the rocket blew up. It's like they made it till the last second, and then the parachute failed. Jesus Christ. Oh. So the first animals sent into space were fruit flies aboard a U.S.-launched V-2 rocket in 1947. And get this, the fruit flies were recovered alive oh no <laughs> i know okay albert II, a rhesus monkey became the first monkey in space two years later in 1949 in a u.s launch v2 after the failure of the original albert's mission on ascent so that's albert one only reached about 39 miles in uh, altitude oh. uh, albert two reached 83 miles albert two died on impact after sit with me a parachute failure. Oh,
1: my God. Who's packing <laughs> these parachutes?
0: I know. I know. Maybe another mon- monkey.
1: <laughs> Could you imagine? A rival monkey. Could you imagine? It's it's yeah, somebody rival. who's Albert like... Albert 3. Albert 3. It's the understudy who is packing his parachute.
0: Uh, oh, my gosh. Bring it back around. Call forward.
1: <laughs> Could you imagine? It's like somebody who's like parents were killed by a monkey like Bruce Wayne style in a dark alley and this is his way of of just taking oh out God. the
0: monkey he, race he worked his way up to parachute packer at NASA <laughs> Uh, Silently plotting his revenge. Uh, Monkeys were implanted with sensors to measure vital signs. If it's any consolation, many were under anesthesia during launch. So maybe they were not awake. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that's better. This is literally literally a quote from the Wikipedia page. The death rate among monkeys at this stage was very high. About two thirds of all monkeys launched in the 40s and 50s died on missions or soon after landing. Oh no! Uh, I know. Uh, <laughs> then in uh, 1951, the Soviet Union sent do- dogs into space, oh, but no. not into orbit. Um, so, but uh, Gypsy, Saigan uh, or um, I think that's how you pronounce it, and Dizik—they uh, actually, these two dogs were the first living higher organisms successfully recovered from a space flight. Oh so, to God. me, that means we didn't, we didn't even start bringing monkeys back alive until after. Well, here here's the answer to that question. Abel and Baker, two monkeys, became the first monkeys to survive spaceflight in 1959.
1: <laughs> which, so, which is which is a gap of how long between the first monkey going up and and the first one being recovered alive?
0: Ten years. Oh, good lord! I know. So to me, that means like those two thirds monkeys that uh, all died were like in the first ten years, and then the last third like all <laughs> made it back. <laughs> we like front loaded the the first ten years. yeah (laughs) i know it's absolutely crazy go ruin your day with that wikipedia page if you ever feel like it uh so that absolutely had nothing to do with the episode but john (laughs) houseman comes up a couple times uh because jerry says alec berg has a john houseman name and john houseman was a romanian born british american actor and producer of theater film and television he died on halloween uh, in 1988 at age of 86 and he became known for his highly publicized collaboration with Orson Welles. They pretty much got their start together and then did Citizen Kane and stuff. And he also produced The Blue Dahlia with writer Raymond Chandler on the screenplay, worked with him. so. And he is perhaps best known for his role as Professor Charles W. Kingsfield in the film The Paper Chase, for which he won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. Ooh. And he was also known for his commercials for the brokerage firm Smith Barney, and he had a distinctive English accent, a product of his schooling. So I lo- I recognized him. He's not in any Disney sitcoms. He doesn't play a dad or a funny grandpa or anything, uh, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> um, but I recognize him. The only role I've ever seen him in is the driving instructor in The Naked Gun, which is actually his last screen role. And I never even knew this was a cameo. I thought it was just like... A funny old British guy. Have you ever seen The Naked Gun? I haven't. So yeah, you know, Leslie Nielsen. Anyway, like he plays this very dry deadpan driving instructor uh, and Frank Drebin like gets in the car and tells this student driver to follow this guy in a car chase and and hilarity ensues. But the driving instructor keeps giving these deadpan directions like, okay, now you're going down the wrong way of a one way tunnel. (laughs) Apply the brakes apply the gun ga- and like put it in reverse. And anyway, like uh, she flips off a trucker and the driving instructors like extend your arm, extend your middle finger and, like flips <laughs> off this truck driver. It's it's, uh, it's it's pretty funny. And I never knew that was John Houseman, but uh, that's the only thing I've ever seen him in. So that's all the homework. Uh, I do have some trivia and stuff from the last episode uh, episode story. Co-writer Fred Stoller, who wrote this episode with Larry David based Kramer's altercation with Barry, the chimpanzee on a childhood visit to monkey jungle, during which he witnessed visitors throwing rocks at the monkeys. Isn't that insane? My
1: god.
0: I know. <laughs> Jesus. You need to put Christ. like trigger animal abuse in the episode description here.
1: <laughs> I guess. Holy fuck.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, in that apology scene, a trainer was standing just off camera to direct the chimpanzee's behavior, which I think you can kind of tell because the monkey sort of like he starts spitting a little too early. But I think they were just like, "We got to take what we can get with these. Mm-hmm. Monks. We're not gonna like do take after take with this monkey. He's, <laughs> you know, he spit at the right time and at the wrong time. We're just gonna, we're just gonna keep that take." Uh, in the original script, Kramer tells Jerry that if he no longer wants to be a part of society, he should move to the uh, city of uh, or to the East Side. And in the original script. Um, so that, that's the one that made it to air. In the original script, he said, you should move to the bottle city of Kandor, continuing the <laughs> series tradition of Superman references. <laughs> yeah, and the, so in the final draft, Kandor was replaced by the east side. And Kandor is a fictional city that was spared when Krypton blew up. Before Krypton exploded, Kandor was captured by the supervillain Brainiac, miniaturized by his shrinking ray, and placed inside a glass jar. Uh, defeating Brainiac and taking possession of the jar, Superman brings the city to his Arctic hideout, forger of solitude and spends many years attempting to restore it to normal size uh, I don't know if he ever yeah. succeeds in that but what an what an obscure reference I'm glad they changed it
1: yeah but I I guess this is what crosses the line of being nerdy for for primetime NBC
0: yeah <laughs> yeah I mean I definitely wouldn't have voted would have in homework anyway like move to the city of move to the bottle city of candor
1: yeah huh? yeah I, I mean uh, it I, I don't know we had to we looked it up anyway I mean I, I think yeah, I've, I know. I, would, I, know. <laughs> I think I would have appreciated this more than, uh, oh, East Side, New York, bad.
0: I don't know. I think I, I, think I at least didn't have to think that hard about like, ah, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it got like that's it, it, true. Wasn't, we, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wouldn't have been funny either way. That's true. But we at are, least I know we
1: are watching Seinfeld, not Earth. The Big Bang Theory.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So the character of Alec Berg, by the way, if you notice in the credits, uh, he's a Seinfeld writer, so his name pops up a lot. Um, So Alec Berg is actually the name of someone who works uh, on Seinfeld I didn't know that Uh, George's story arc Yeah, George's story arc originally had an uncharacteristically serious ending for Seinfeld After George tells Sienna he loves her the second time She responds, I love you too He then asks her to marry him and she agrees This ending was filmed but not used Though, uh, as I uh, mentioned when we were talking to Dr. Matt The idea of George becoming engaged uh, will be repurposed So look out for that and there's a whole section about Patrick Warburton and the New Jersey Devils. So he actually grew up a fan of the LA Kings, but because of the episode, he acquired an affinity for the New Jersey Devils, and they actually uh, played each other during the 2012 playoffs. So Putty was torn. Um, <laughs> so uh, the season following the face painter broadcast, he was invited to drop the ceremonial first puck of the Devils game. He showed up with his face painted the same way Putty's is in that episode. After dropping the puck, he slipped and fell, but he regained his balance ripped off his shirt and revealed that his chest was painted with the letter D and uh, so I guess the crowd went wild after that okay and then he's even uh <laughs> invited to appear at devil's games with his face and chest painted pumping up the care the the crowd and the devils gave out a putty bobblehead doll to fans at a 2019 game we talked about that game a little bit at the end of last episode
1: i wonder if at this uh, point left. i wonder if at this point if he's invited to a devil's game if they have to ask him to do the paint or if it's just implied <laughs>
0: Is it, that's a great question like he, if he like shows up like hey, how's it going like oh you didn't do the what Oh, nothing. Never mind. We just thought (laughs) nothing. No, it's up to you. Totally.
1: (laughs) Or if it costs like more on the deal for him to do the face paint.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, maybe they they pay him a little more, give him better seats or something. <laughs> uh, I wanted to do a little, uh, just a small. Uh, I recognize Sienna from something, and it was kind of killing me. I, and I want to mention, I think Sienna might be the most attractive woman to me that George has ever been with. Really? Yeah, I just I just really like her look. I, I can't think of anyone who strikes me like she has. Hmm, okay. But Sienna was played by Katie Silverstone, who is primarily known for her work on The Drew Carey Show as Lisa Robbins, Drew Carey's girlfriend in the first and second seasons. Oh, my God. So I totally (laughs) recognize her from that, too.
1: (laughs) Getting a lot of uh, Drew Carey guest stars this season.
0: Yeah, yeah. We had Krista Miller and now uh, Katie Silverstone. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy, um, and but so a little uh, Pennsylvania connection too. She attended Carnegie Mellon University here in Pittsburgh and earned a bachelor of fine arts in acting.
1: Ooh, wow, okay,
0: yeah. So I think that's it for homework and trivia and all that.
1: All right, uh, is there any other news bits or anything? I don't think so. All right. anything. Well, if you have never listened to us before, we are not a research heavy show. We like to have our questions come up naturally as we're talking about the episode and assign them to ourselves the week after as though we are giving ourselves homework. I've never seen these episodes before. Tim has never seen these episodes before in chronological order after being a lifelong fan for years. If we miss something, if we egregiously skip over something, please send us an email or send us a tweet at nohugging on Twitter or nohuggingnolearningshow at gmail.com. Both of those links are in the description or on the show description page on apple podcasts uh if you like what you hear please give us a five-star rating and a written review on apple podcasts and we will send you a no hugging no learning sticker free of charge we just need your mailing address Uh, Of course, you can also leave a rating and a review uh, anywhere else that accepts ratings and reviews. We just also ask that you send us a screenshot because we can only see the Apple Podcasts ones. With that being said, Tim, Season 6, Episode 23, The Understudy, the Season 6 Finale Original air date, May 18th, 1995. I was two years, four months, and 28 days old. And if you count this episode and every other episode we have left, we have 67 episodes before we become a, uh, I had an idea Mm. in the intro. (laughs) It's gone.
0: By the way, can you hear my kids screaming? No,
1: I actually can't.
0: Are they screaming? Oh, good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what the hell's going on out there, but I think I'm going to leave out the window when I... (laughs)
1: um tim we have 67 episodes before we become a podcast all about animals in space
0: oh yes actually that'd be really interesting that is another one that like npr needs to do
1: actually i would totally listen to like a serial drama about like a nasa crew that's all monkeys (laughs) i i 100 percent would listen to that it's got
0: to be better than space force
1: (laughs) oh did you watch space force i couldn't even i I I couldn't even i wanted to
0: no i I just heard it was bad and i was like i i can't even waste my time on it
1: (laughs) man i i i saw i saw someone watching it one time and i was like is this any good and she was like eh not really but it's it's background
0: noise (laughs) yeah yeah that when like when i'm done with netflix that'll be the last thing i watch on netflix
1: That all and, right.
0: I watched. I watched. God,
1: that and the Sonic the Hedgehog movie with Ben Schwartz. It'll be. A, it'll be a Ben Schwartz <laughs> double feature.
0: Yeah. All right. I've watched every obscure Mexican romantic comedy, all the Indian melodramas. Now I'm finally gonna watch Space Force.
1: <laughs> so if you're looking at TV Guide the night of May 18th, 1995, you are gonna see George is suspected of injuring Bette Midler in a softball game.
0: Hmm. I. To, may give away too much. We'll see at the end if we can do better. Um, and we start as we do not usually start. There's no stand up.
1: Yeah, this was this was weird. No stand up. No Jonathan Wolf music. Yeah, we we just cut right really into. Weird. We just cut right into Jerry and his date watching what I, I thought was just the music video for "Wind Beneath My Wings," and <laughs> and, and she's bawling.
0: Yeah, evidently this is Beaches, which I've never seen. I don't know what it's about. Do you? I have no idea. No, yeah. And the uh, we might have to do a little, like, just a, a brief synopsis on what beach is about. Beaches is about at the beginning of next episode. Uh, because I it really does come up a lot in this episode. I wonder if it, no, because it was already on cable, so it probably came out, I don't know, five that that was we've talked about this before like that was a lot longer it took a lot longer for movies to hit cable than it does now yeah so it might even be like five years ago
1: uh i i think the the cycle always used to be 30 months so that'd be two and a half years
0: so yeah she's crying jerry's girlfriend's crying on the couch and he's on the chair and he has a little internal dialogue with himself about whether or not he has to go over and console her and he doesn't move from the chair to go console her. I mean, if he was next to her, that's one thing, but that's a long trip any other way.
1: <laughs> a, a second episode in a row where Jerry makes, like, a firm stance on not doing something that is just, like, <laughs> the biggest issue in the world to him. Like, last week it was, yeah, no, yeah. I will not call him and say, thank you, I'm putting my foot down. And this week it's, no, I will not console her when she's crying. Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the next day that's what George and Jerry are talking about as they come into the apartment uh, dressed for a softball game. They're both wearing jerseys that say improv on them. How do you think George weasled his way onto the improv team? He's not a comic.
1: I have no idea, although these these baseball jerseys were pretty sick. I'm not gonna lie. This, this would be oh, yeah. this, this would be a great like uh, super niche Halloween costume.
0: Yes, yeah. Jeans in <laughs> the jersey and uh, maybe a catcher's mask or something if you wanted to be Yeah, like George.
1: Like George has got like the, the backwards, like navy cap. Uh, Jerry just is yeah. like blue jeans and a baseball jersey, you know, like an athlete. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm sure these are for sale somewhere on like Redbubble <laughs> or TeePublic or something. <laughs> and so Jerry's girlfriend is upset that he didn't console her and he asked George what he would do. And it's at this point that I noticed Superman is uh, still on the bookshelf and The Fridge, where he's pretty much been all season long, Yeah. Um, and they are going to a, sh- it's a show league game, and it's The Improv versus Rochelle Rochelle the Musical, which is a great callback to <laughs> the strange erotic journey and this movie that we talked about in season four, episode 14, The Movie, <laughs> and we kind of posited that it was like a kind of like mainstream porn, like every so often one of these movies will come out that's like, you know, Fifty Shades or... What was the one that um, uh, I don't know, but that, that somehow the mainstream is like, oh, it's okay to watch this, even though it's mostly porn. Are, are you ta- um,
1: are you talking about the the one that Penthouse funded? Yeah,
0: Caligula. That yes. might be the other one. I was yeah, the mainstream. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of become cult classics or whatever, but just get the public's attention. And it also comes up again in season four, episode twenty-one, the Smelly Car. So it's it's in the movie when it's in theaters, and then a couple of episodes later, it was uh, on video. And George rented it and didn't rewind it and was going to watch it again, but then it gets stolen. And so Bette Midler is starring in this new musical, Rochelle Rochelle, They and she is going to be playing today, and Kramer comes in, and he just like screeches when he finds out that Bette Midler is going to be at the ballgame today. (laughs) So we find out the understudies, uh, the girlfriend's name is Janice. How is that spelled, by the way? Because I didn't have the captions on, and I I think I spelled it with a C or an S at the end.
1: It's spelled... Well, how how is it actually? It's spelled G-E-N-N-I-S-E.
0: G-E-N-N-I-S-E. What in the world? Yeah. Wow, I was way off. I spelled it J-A-N-E-E. CE or SE. And those, (laughs) believe me, looked wrong, but so does whatever abomination they came up, they actually came up
1: with. Maybe, maybe I missed an E after that second N, but I'm pretty sure that it's G E N N I S E.
0: Wow! Yeah, I I believe you. That's just insane. <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird. It's not a real name. It's
1: not. It really isn't. But but she Janice. is. Yeah, but she is Bette Midler's understudy in in Rochelle Rochelle the musical.
0: Yes, yeah, and that's who Jerry is dating. And Jerry's glad that she's the understudy because he doesn't have to go backstage and uh pretend that she, you know have something to say about what a great job she did or whatever. And George hates doing that too, especially if they stink which, by the way, George has had to do before. Another callback to Season 3, Episode 14, the Pez Dispenser, when his (laughs) uh, girlfriend was giving a piano recital and she stunk, and then George lost all his hand that he had in the relationship because of, uh, you know, because of that. And Jerry then ends the scene by doing, like, a bit, to no one like Kramer and Georgia both left presumably they're already down the steps maybe and Jerry is doing this thing like I would just love one time to tell someone they stink and he's like looking at at us or something like he's doing a bit for no one no one's there
1: but he's he's not breaking the fourth wall because he's not making eye contact with the camera, uh, w- which makes it weirder, I think.
0: Yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely not, and he's not <laughs> talking to us like we stink as an audience. He's just like talking to an invisible person, but he's doing a whole bit. He goes on for like 30 seconds. You really, I mean, I really just wanted to say you stink. It was really bad. And and he just goes on and on, and his friends are on. There's no one around who is, who is enjoying this. He's doing it. Just for himself. Meanwhile, 15 minutes into his
1: set to no one, George and Kramer are in the car just waiting, just wondering where Jerry yeah. is.
0: Yeah, where in the hell are we still talking to himself with his face in the door? (laughs) That's weird. Um, So we uh, now go to Ruby Nail Salon, which was a real place on the Upper West Side. Oh, whoa. uh, At 1183 Lexington Avenue. Yeah, I I tracked it down thanks to the phone number, which is visible on the the awning, (laughs) 249-3396. I don't know when it closed, but now it's Gents, a gentleman's barber shop. Uh, according to google street view <laughs> and there is a nail place next door called tulip oh so if okay. you still want to get your nails done and you're on the upper east side uh you can you can go next door to where ruby nail salon used to be uh, uh just don't go
1: into gents
0: don't go into gents a gentleman's barbershop that that's the actual address 1183 but just go next door they might be the same business just you know, two different storefronts and they're connected. That seems like something that might be,
1: uh, you know, might maybe, happen. maybe,
0: uh, Elaine runs in, she's late for an appointment and the, the nail, what are they called? Uh, nail techs. That's what I wrote down. Cause it sounded right. Nail techs. Yeah. Nail technician. Yep. Is that right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, and she speaks in a foreign language to other employees, mocking Elaine, um, pretty much after everything she says, and they're all laughing at her without her knowing about it. And, this is a pretty common fear that, that you have when you're in a place where people are speaking a foreign language, right? I mean, that's not crazy, is it?
1: it it's not, but it's something that I've never really thought of, you know? It, it, it's something that I, I don't think I've ever encountered.
0: Yeah, oh, well, that you know of.
1: That I know of, that's
0: for <laughs> sure, Jesus. They, they might just be really a lot more subtle than these, you know, than they had, than the actors had to be in this scene really playing it up. Like, <laughs> yeah, It was really obvious that oh, they were yeah. laughing at Elaine.
1: Oh my God, yeah, it was. Like they they're not like even whenever Elaine is like oh what what's funny she has to think for a second she's like oh uh knock knock joke and yeah but like they're looking but there at her was no and they, call they might and as response. well they might as well be like pointing and laughing at her you know it it's it's everything but that
0: Yeah, and 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 there was no call and response. A knock knock joke required. It was so obvious. No one had told a knock knock joke, you know, because someone will say knock knock, and the other person will say who's. There's a back and forth that didn't happen. Yeah, it was. And that other the person she said was talking. She she probably talked right then, but but, um, yeah, wasn't doing a lot of the talking. So it's it's painfully obvious, and and I think Elaine, you know, knows that too. You can be in denial, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's ever happened to me either, but I think people make it a lot less obvious, you know. Yeah. If it ever does happen over in Central Park, which is still there. Um, uh, was this th- was this
1: in Central Park? Because whenever they're like filming <laughs> oh, no. or, or, or not. Oh, like, I'm
0: sure it's in L.A. I'm sure uh, it's somewhere well, in L.A.
1: Not like uh, is there a baseball field in Central Park? Do you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: OK. Jeez, no, there's uh, plenty of ball field. There's just so many things in Central Park that like I didn't think of. I-, I mean, like every time that we talk about Central Park, I just remember just how fucking huge it is
0: yeah yeah i mean it's it's absolutely gigantic and uh you know you you could probably live there forever and central park baseball fields and never yeah never see the whole thing it's just absolutely gigantic and it's uh like it's amazing that it is still there because when you think about you know gosh look at all this green space we could just build buildings on and make billions of dollars and uh oh
1: my god yeah and they don't do it like oh look a trader joe's would go right here and be perfect you know it w- it would be yeah, great for yeah. the for the Central Park
0: community. Exactly. Instead of Central Park West or Central Park East, it'd be like Central Park Central. <laughs> <laughs> I want to live right in the middle of Central Park. Uh, yeah. So it looks like there's uh 26 baseball fields in all in all of Central Park. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. And you can uh, you can get a permit for free to, if you want to use one. Uh, so, uh, like, if you have a show, softball game or something. But I think it's cool that we're on location somewhere. Like, we're outside. We're not on a soundstage somewhere with, like, artificial light. It's it's literally outside, which is, you know, kind of um, a feat for Seinfeld.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely a, a welcome visual change. Yeah. Uh,
0: so Elaine does suspect that they're talking about her at Ruby Nail Salon. Uh, Jerry suggests getting a translator to go in and, and tell her what they're saying. And George's dad, who sold religious artifacts... Made in Korea actually knows how to speak Korean, which is what they were speaking in the nail salon. And this also, so uh, just to go back to our conversation about George and trying to please his parents, etc. So that means that George's dad was an importer exporter. What does George always pretend to be when when oh. he has to make up a business besides being an architect? Oh, I mean, we importer exporter. When he oh. wants to impress people, he picked what his dad did. <laughs> he- I I can't fucking
1: believe it. Holy shit.
0: I know. I know. I mean, it's like, uh, that's almost a little depressing that like, oh, I need to come up with a job that will really impress somebody that that I have it. Uh, Oh, I'm an importer exporter. That's the best job any man could have. (laughs) Oh, George. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) <laughs> it's so sad i know it's crazy i wish i would have gone back and figured out because he at, at one point he's like well you know I'm, I'm thinking about focusing more on the importing and less on the exporting or something like that i figure because <laughs> uh, it sounds like his dad was more of an importer and not so much of an exporter he imported these goods that were made in korea um but yeah i, I just that that really blew my mind once i realized that and george says that his dad once sp- spoke to the reverend sun young moon have you heard of this guy the name
1: rings a bell
0: Yeah, I think he's like the head of the Unitarian Church or something like that. But I don't even know much about that. And I think he actually is one of the guys that did like mass weddings. Like he would get a a football stadium full of people and they'd all get married at once or something like that. So I'll put that down for next week, too, just to just to figure out um, just who that was. And Janice is not playing in the game today because Bette Midler is. And I love Jerry's line. He's like, wow, they really stick to that understudy rule. <laughs> <laughs> like if one person's doing something, the other person literally can't do it. <laughs> and she drops her hot dog on the ground and she starts bawling over it. And George and Jerry have this hilarious silent conversation with these broad gestures about whether actually it's not that broad. It's actually pretty subtle. Cause like George is sort of like motioning with a bat he's holding and like kind of waving Jerry over and they are being kind of subtle about it here. But I, I thought it was hilarious. Some hilarious physical comedy from uh, this duo. And he does go over and just kind of like, he almost um, hover hands it when yeah. he like puts his arm around her. It's like, they're there. there. <laughs> like,
1: I, I don't know if he actually touches her.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's very, very stiff. Uh, Bette Midler arrives. She's got a huge entourage. Kramer starts fangirling immediately and he runs over to Bette Midler. I can't believe someone was allowed to get this close to Bette Midler. You know, like he just runs right up to her and, and starts talking to her. It's yeah, that's uh, crazy. But yeah,
1: yeah, it's real weird. <laughs>
0: Um, And he offers her Italian ice. They have some Italian ice, and so he lists the flavors that they have. And Bette Midler says, "How about pineapple?" Uh, And Kramer like says, "Yes, I'll get you some pineapple." And he runs off. I think she did that knowing they don't have pineapple. I was just to get rid of Kramer for the rest of the day.
1: I was just gonna ask you that. Like, do you think that Bette Midler did this to send (laughs) Kramer on a goose chase?
0: Yeah, I think just to just to get him out of her hair just for good. Yeah. <laughs> and so Kramer does run off to search because he goes to the, you know, uh, to the, the Italian ice guy and he says they don't have it. So now he's off uh, over at Monks. Elaine and Frank are having, uh, you know, are, are meeting up to and she's explaining the translator deal to him about coming in and telling what they said. And Elaine offers a mani or pedi to Frank, but he says that no one's touching my feet. Uh, he's very defensive about getting a pedicure. Uh back over at the ball field, Bet is up at the bat, and George tells Jerry to pitch inside because she's crowding the plate and she thinks she owns it and she's a big star. Uh, George starts trash talking Bet Midler from behind the plate, which I thought was hilarious. And she's got a great comeback because he's like, uh, I saw beaches again last night. Wind beneath my wings, give me a break. And she's <laughs> like, Get some talent, then you can talk. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah, for I know. For, I mean, for what, what George, Midler says that to you. Yeah,
1: for what George is dishing out, Bet's giving it right back.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and she'll she'll do even more later, which is great. So Jerry strikes her out, and back uh, we get another shot of Kramer's search for pineapple ice, uh, Italian ice, and this is deaf stand-in is it not because this is oh literally God, on the streets yeah. of new york
1: yeah the,
0: yeah you you don't see his face no <laughs> like, all you see is like some like a poor attempt at kramer hair from behind <laughs> and like and he's like being even more broad with his gestures than kramer <laughs> normally is yeah i mean this guy's trying but it's it's so <laughs> obviously a stand-in he's trying so hard he's
1: doing his best this is this is his understudy
0: <laughs> yeah this is kramer's understudy yeah this we're we're getting and and this is not the first time we've seen a stand-in Kramer running around the streets of New York. I remember he needed a bathroom at one point. Oh that's and right. We got the same kind of from behind shots of of all of all around 30 Rock and stuff like, like that. Um, so, oh, back over amongst Frank admits that he had an affair with a Korean woman back when he was uh, traveling over there and the culture clash was too much, mainly because Frank wouldn't take off his shoes uh, because of his foot odor problem and it offended his dad who said, this guy is, is not my kind of guy. By the way, I, Frank speaks so clearly and there's no music or anything uh, that I, I put Google translate up to the speaker to see if it could figure out what frank was saying and it wouldn't pick up the last syllable which is a which is show or something like that but google translate came back with i guess i said it but again that last syllable whatever that word is it you know it could change the meaning of the sentence completely Hmm. so yeah um, it would be pretty funny though if it was something like that i guess i said it i don't know (laughs) maybe that can be answered Uh, yeah i'm gonna um, let me see frank's uh korean i'm gonna write that down because i'm sure somebody who speaks korean out there is um, also a seinfeld fan on the internet (laughs) yes uh, back out on the streets, stand-in Kramer finally finds Pineapple. Uh, but it's not stand-in Kramer. It's real Kramer because we're just <laughs> back on the street set. We're not in New York anymore. Mm-hmm. And back at the ball field, Bet is now playing catcher, which is, that's like, that's a ballsy position to put the star of your Broadway show anyway. Yeah. What catcher. Are you, what are I you mean, doing? The only worst place you could put her is like first base.
1: Yeah. Or like the pitcher.
0: Yeah. Like those three, like that that's the worst place she could go. Like White Field. <laughs>
1: Like it does? Does Bet Midler have a good arm? Put her out in the outfield.
0: Yeah, or or like like we've talked about before. I mean, like I played right field because the ball never goes to right field. Yeah. Oh and yeah. That, that's so... that's what I
1: was implying. Yeah. I I couldn't catch a ball if it was three feet above me. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, but I, I guess you want her in the middle of the action, but still like literally I know it's not fast pitch either, but still that, that's just I, if I was in an, if I was insuring if I was the insurer for the show Rochelle Rochelle, I'd say, <laughs> oh, you guys just voided this contract. You guys just completely. Yeah, I'm not paying for any of this. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but she, it's it's hilarious. So she's trash talking George like before he comes up to bat. She's like, all right, move in everybody move in, <laughs> which is the lowest. I mean, that's the lowest oh, insult yeah. to any ball well, player. To well, infield. not. Not (laughs) only that,
1: not only that, she's like, get your shrimp here. Come on, get your shrimp.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but George does slam one. I mean, he just.
1: For someone who looks like the most uncoordinated runner ever, George gets an inside the park home run.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, once I guess once you get that momentum behind that, you know, (laughs) that's probably what it's all about. And Bette uh, gets the ball, but she's blocking home plate. And so George does what I guess any ball player would do, and he trucks her. And it knocks out Bette Midler, even though George did hit an inside the park home run. And then um, someone, you know, as everyone's consoling Bette, they're like, hey, I bet the understudy's boyfriend put him up to it. And this is that mad TV guy. Wait, what? Wasn't this, uh, wasn't it? I swear this was, hang on, let me see. This was the guy that played Stewart on Mad TV. Michael McDonald? Is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah. Or Michael McDowell? Michael what? McDonald. Michael McDonald. No, it's McDonald. Is it really? I swear it was, it was Michael McDonald. Yeah. Wow. We'll just I, double check right f- now. Cause it'll be like, in his.
1: Yeah. I feel like I would have recognized that. I feel like I would have seen him.
0: Yep. Seinfeld player number two in 1995. Yeah, Definitely. I was like, "Hey, that's the uh, that's the Mad TV guy." He had to be pretty young in '95. Let me see. He was uh, no, he was well, he was 31. You can call that young. Oh, apparently he comes back later in season seven. I was gonna say I, I thought we might have even already seen him in an episode, but maybe I'm thinking of something in the future. Because yeah, I I pictured him in the Seinfeld universe, just in a different. I was like, yeah, I, I felt like he was going to come back. So he's the one who says the understudy's boyfriend put him up to it, and... Keep oh doing, my keep God, doing yeah. Okay, he, is, go.
1: he is real young in this. Yeah, yeah.
0: He's, he always has a young face. I guess that's why Stewart worked so well. But um, yeah, even, even for 31, he looks a lot younger. So Kramer runs up with his pineapple Italian ice and immediately starts consoling Bette, who looks either out of sorts, like discombobulated, but also maybe terrified of Kramer at this point, too. <laughs> 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 and Jerry and George are being chased through the park by an angry mob.
1: An angry mob of four angry theater
0: nerds. <laughs> yeah, four angry theater nerds, including Stewart from Mad TV.
1: Yeah, I, um, I I'm sure they're I'm sure they're gonna cause a lot of damage. Um,
0: but yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, one of them is like really trailing behind too. There's one of them like way yeah. behind. Cut to the apartment, and Jerry and George are watching a news report. It's tonight's top story. Really, Bette Midler injured in softball game is the top story in New York City? Yeah,
1: there's, there's nothing else going on in New York. Bette Midler <laughs> being in the hospital after a softball game is the top story.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Janice comes in, and at first, Jerry and George think she's going to be mad, but she says, thank you, because no one's ever done anything like this for me, and she starts crying. And there's another hilarious, silent conversation between... This time, the gestures are a lot more broad between Jerry and George about whether he has to go over and console her, uh, which I thought was hilarious because she's sitting on the couch and they're behind her. Uh, Kramer either knocks on the door or I believe he runs into the door because it doesn't open when he barges in like he normally does. Do you think that's what happened?
1: I, I don't know, but like he, he undoes all of the locks, every single one of them, uh, yeah. <laughs> because he has a huge like, janitor size key ring.
0: Yeah, and they, uh, they, he unlocks them so fast, which means he knew exactly which keys they were, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's like a shot in a horror movie when all the locks start unlocking. And the fact that he has to go through like 100 keys on this key ring and they unlock so fast is like pretty crazy. But uh, yeah, and Kramer chews everybody out, but specifically Janice for supposedly, you know, being so happy about this and maybe even having something to do with it.
1: Yeah. When did Kramer become such a Broadway expert and enthusiast?
0: Yeah, I know. Yeah. He's like, my Broadway is the Broadway of Merman. And blah. you think you're going to get there by. I mean, he has a really scathing monologue here.
1: Yeah. Where did this come from?
0: <laughs> it must just be. He must just have grown up in New York. I mean, he must have just. It must just be, you know, in his blood, New York. It is in his blood, and therefore Broadway. I,
1: I guess, but it's that's been that's my guess. It's been at this point six full seasons, and Kramer has never expressed <laughs> any interest in Broadway.
0: That's I guess it's just never come up. <laughs> He's a oh, font of knowledge that's just okay, ready
1: to go. Okay, I, I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> going into season seven, it's not going to be mentioned one more time.
0: <laughs> uh, over at Ruby Nails, Frank is translating. Uh, what is what they're what's being said about him and Elaine at this point now? Um, they're still being very derogatory about both of them, and you know, he, but he can't keep the game going because his rage takes over, and he starts shouting at the nail techs. But back in a break room, uh, someone who we learn is Frank's former lover is recounting you know he starts hearing the voice and recognizes It starts recounting the same story that frank told earlier about falling in love with an american and he wouldn't take his shoes off and elaine gets kicked out of ruby nails but uh frank who is still seething i guess and they didn't they i guess they couldn't kick him out Uh, he's reunited with kim who we find out her name is kim
1: yeah don't don't kick out the guy who's like shouting and causing a scene kick out the woman who is standing there doing nothing
0: yeah, who just brought a spy to catch you doing something you shouldn't have been doing in the first place. So, yeah. you're still in the wrong. Yeah. He's not. Uh, over at New York Hospital, Cornell Medical Center, which we saw in season 6 episode 20, The Fusilli Jerry, Kramer is just doting on Beth Midler and, you know, filing her nails for her and stuff like that. Uh, meanwhile, out on the street, Elaine is sobbing, it's pouring rain. She bumps into this guy who you know just like they kind of exchange a little pithy like uh, you know i don't know where i'm going well that's the best way to get someplace you've never been uh and he starts remarking on her coat and it turns out he's jay peterman which is not a reference i got in 95 and it's still a reference i don't get now i'm still i still don't know if this is a real catalog (laughs) do you know anything about jay peterman
1: i have absolutely no idea
0: The only context I have is within Seinfeld, and from what I can tell, it's like kind of a high-end, outdoorsy, like Land's End L.L. Bean, but like just a little upper, like a little higher-end version of that with flowery descriptions for all of their clothing, like travel wear and outdoor stuff. But I don't even know if it's real. I I guess it is. We're we're definitely just going to have to look into it for next week, Um, but I've I've never actually seen an actual J. Peterman catalog. No idea what it looks like or what it is. It
1: looks like it is real.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised.
1: Oh wow! Yeah, here's and uh, here's I guess the, I'm not
0: surprised it wasn't. Uh, here's
1: the website jpeterman.com, the J. Peterman Company. Oh, still around? I guess so. Yeah. Enjoy free shipping on your first order. Willing, wow! Thanks, J. Peterman. <laughs>
0: Aww, I'm willing but, to bet J. Peterman is also not. Oh, he is real. John Peterman is an American catalog and retail entrepreneur. Ooh, we can get a. Oh fur- wow! They were on the Today Show together. That's funny.
1: We can get a fur felt fedora for only four hundred ninety eight dollars.
0: Holy shit! That's insane. Or
1: or a hindsight twenty twenty mask. It's on sale for only sixteen dollars and fifty cents.
0: Oh, that's not bad. (laughs) Oh god, some of
1: these clothes look
0: like they're just fedora for four hundred bucks.
1: Some of these clothes look like they're just like (sighs) straight out of the fucking forties. I don't get it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I guess if you want to dress like Indiana Jones, you
1: (laughs) you're gonna buy a five hundred dollar fedora.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe that's why he, you know, he never wanted to leave it behind. Now we know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the the temple door is closing and he reaches through to get it one last time and It's like this costs uh, yeah, a lot never of money, guys. Behind. Yeah. You don't leave a $400 hat lying on some temple floor, all right? I'm bringing it with me. <laughs> In a taxi, uh they're driving by. Uh, speaking of brand names, did you notice the super old pottery barn? No. Yeah, I like I don't even know how long Pottery Barn has been around, but this was like a brown awning with like block letters. It's definitely not the soft, you know, uh bright blue sort of, you know, very soft colors and and titles that you see in Pottery Barn now. It's it was like hmm. Pottery Barn. <laughs> Pottery Barn. You're going to buy it and you're going to like it. <laughs> Um, And John, I mean, John, why did I just talk on John Peterman? George and Jerry are going to the hospital to pick up Janice, uh, who's being berated in the street, being yelled at for what she did to Ben Midler, or what they're alleging that she had to do with what they did to Ben Midler. By the way, this is the same taxi driver as in the Scofflaw. Uh, season six episode 13 we're getting so many callbacks in the season finale i love that they're doing that uh when he was when elaine was telling him about about the glasses and he's like yes revenge revenge is a good reason to do anything whatever he says to her um and he like so everyone's getting it in public i mean there's they're even heckling jerry now calling calling him Galuli, which is (laughs) so did you are you picking up now on on the reference to what this episode is kind of a a a parody oh
1: yeah for sure but like oh my god like this is like she's in the hospital like they never even say. They don't even say what is wrong with Bette Midler. Just like, oh yeah, she's she, she's in the hospital, uh, but like she fell over yeah. and she'll maybe be out of the show for a week. Not she'll be in the hospital for a week. She'll be out of the yeah. show for a week. They're making it seem like they murdered her in cold blood in front of her entire <laughs> family.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, she did get knocked out, so at the most, I would say concussion. But you don't get monitored at the hospital for that no <laughs> you don't get checked in <laughs> yeah yeah and they even get kicked out of the cab once uh yeah so she starts crying again Janie starts crying again well, yeah. and jerry and george now have had enough of the crying
1: yeah the, the driver is even like you should go to prison for the rest of your lives and eat nothing but prison <laughs> food for what for what <laughs>
0: Yeah, for making Bette Midler miss <laughs> five performances of a new musical.
1: Maybe seven performances if you include matinees <laughs> on weekends. Maybe.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, The cab driver's very upset with them. Uh, over at a restaurant, Elaine is listening to J- Jay Peterman recounting a tale of adventure that turns into a description of the shoe he was wearing at the time. And Elaine does the same thing when he asks her about the shirt she's wearing. And it really impresses Jay Peterman that she was able to fall into the same sort of storytelling cadence that I guess this uh, catalog was famous for.
1: I wonder if it still does that. Uh,
0: over, I think that's, if it's your trademark, I think probably. I wonder what they had to say about that four hundred dollars fedora. Oh, you God. won't want to wear this outside.
1: You won't. You won't <laughs> let. You won't want to let this stay on the cavern floor <laughs> or whatever.
0: Uh, over in Frank's car, he's driving with Kim, and they're excited for the future. And now they've, they've they've been reunited until Frank pulls his signature move and he stops short. And she says, we don't do that in my country. And I guess it's over again for Frank and Kim. Yeah, they they go over from before like, it, started.
1: it goes from like having their whole lives ahead of them to Frank stopping short and her never wanting to see him again in 30 seconds or less. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, we had to wrap this up. We had to wrap this up quick. Uh, over at the town hall, which is a theater that is still there, 123 West 43rd Street. And we've been to the town hall before. This is where we saw Pagliacci with the gang in the opera season four. Episode nine, yet another callback. Oh, Jesus. Um, and I know the Joe Devol, crazy Joe DeVola episode. Elaine has made up with the nail ladies by giving them tickets to this hot new show, Rochelle Rochelle. Uh, and she also got a job writing for the J. Peterman catalog. So we're, uh, setting up Elaine's storyline for season seven, which is exciting. Backstage, Jerry is accosted by a stagehand who says he's not scared of him or your goons, referring to George. <laughs> and of course, we, we, we didn't, if, if you're lost on this, I, I don't know who would be, but they're referring to, so Galuli was the boyfriend of, uh, Tanya Harding who supposedly paid this guy to break Nancy Kerrigan's legs with uh, a pipe or something like that before the Olympics. I don't know when it was. uh, Back in, you know, probably back in 96 or... Well, that would have been summer. So maybe it was 94. I think it was was 92. 92? Okay. Um, Yeah. So uh, that happened at the Olympics and they... Yeah, it it just became a whole uh, big thing. And it's obviously parodying that whole setup that Jerry and George did this to get her on stage as as a big star. Um, And... She Janice gets a telegram, which is like what? <laughs> they were still sending telegrams in 1995. I guess. I, I guess so. This is this would have been a text. I guess at, at a in current present day Seinfeld, <laughs> it would have been a, a break
1: a leg text. By the way, Grandma died.
0: <laughs> and then Jerry goes in to genuinely console her. She's like, "Oh, my grandma died." Jerry starts going, and she's like, "No, it's fine." She crumples up the telegram, and just kind of throws it, and he's like. <laughs> You cry over a hot dog, but not your grandma. <laughs> um, out in the house of uh, Town Hall, they make an announcement about an understudy stepping in to play the role instead of Bette Midler. And the entire theater is shocked. This was the top story on the news yeah. a couple days ago. Yeah, there's How visible. How did they miss that Bette Midler was going to be out?
1: There's visible unrest. Like, this was, like you said, this is the top story. Wouldn't this have been a known thing <laughs> that, oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I know they said that Bette Midler was going to be out, but I didn't think they actually meant it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I I can't. And I can't that believe is... this thing that I chose not to believe.
0: <laughs> and oftentimes that's advertised. It, if if not out front on like a sandwich board or something, definitely in the playbill. I, I think it would have said like yeah. you'll know, they'll, they'll put an insert in there or something that says oh this role is going to be played by this you know. I don't know what you can do in that case if you get a refund or not, but they do let you know way before they make any sort of announcement like this.
1: But yeah, like you said, this was this was everywhere.
0: Yeah. It's not just the nail ladies that are mad. Like the whole audience is like making gestures like, oh, can you believe this? Oh, man. <laughs> like you guys should have known it was the top story. Like, this just is, a couple days ago. <laughs> this is
1: all of your faults.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's on you. No, I'm giving no refunds to this crowd. <laughs> Uh, but, but the nail ladies are mad again just like everybody so they're still mad at elaine and and uh and they so, they oh well. get up and storm out uh, though yeah.
1: Every, it, it seems like everyone yeah. else kind of like puts up with it but the nail ladies they, they're out of there
0: yeah yeah they storm out uh so we get an epilogue and janice comes out and starts singing a song that oh wait a minute did i
1: i think i totally you, skipped i think you skipped over the scene oh gosh, in the hospital with uh with macaroni Midler.
0: I did. I did. So after Frank stops short, we don't go to the town hall. Um, Kramer presents Bette Midler with Macaroni Midler, and she sings the title song from Rochelle Rochelle. And Kramer won't let Jerry, George and Janice see Bette Midler. Uh, and I like that he says, so there won't be any more accidents. <laughs> and they leave to go get a security guard to get let, let them into the room and Kramer is kind of panicking about what is going to happen so he says there's only one safe place for and he wheels Bette out of the room in the bed and on uh, on Bette
1: Midler singing here I'm just really glad it wasn't as long and drawn out as the Velvet Fog
0: yes yeah thank goodness <laughs> it was just a couple of lines of a completely made up song and so we uh, in the epilogue Janice is singing the opening number and comes out and starts singing and then she notices her shoelace is untied and she starts crying again and this of course is a reference to something that actually happened in that fateful Olympics where uh, Tanya Harding's shoe was untied or something like that and she started crying and she she put her boot up on, she put her skate up on the actual rink side to show what was going on and whether or not she could restart and stuff like that. It was it was a whole deal. And this is a parody of that. This just makes me want to rewatch uh, I, Tonya. Yeah, I've never seen that. We started a, a long time ago, and then we, we had to stop it for some reason. I don't remember why. But, it was, it was um, yeah, pretty it was, good. I would love to check that out. It was out. pretty good. Yeah. She was nominated for an Oscar for that, right? Margot or Robbie? was nominated for Oscars. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, we might do a small dive, a shallow end dive, <laughs> where we get a uh, concussion and we're, we uh, have to we're out of the podcast for a week a kiddie pool dive where it's clearly marked that we
1: should not be doing this
0: <laughs> yeah a uh, a kerrigan saga kiddie pool dive uh <laughs> tomorrow uh, not tomorrow next next week and and then we get a post-credit sequence like uh what is this a marvel movie what's going on um <laughs> because jerry is walking into his apartment like it came after even the castle rock thing yeah it did the like
1: this is the final thing so this is the final thing like all the title uh, cards are done and then it's jerry walking up to his door
0: yeah and then he hears kramer singing rochelle rochelle from inside his apartment and then bat midler joins in and jerry's like wait is that nah and that's the end of the episode (laughs) and the season and the season.
1: Oh my god! Yeah,
0: I think they. I mean, they really ended on a high note. I gotta say,
1: I I feel differently, but I don't know. I don't. I can't pinpoint why. I, I felt like this was mostly just. A, I don't know. A, a ratings grab with Bette Midler.
0: Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a hilarious. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't a hilarious episode. The cameo was great, though. It wasn't like a waste of time. I mean, it, it was. She was actually really. I, I'm not even a Bette Midler fan. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really care for her, but I liked her in this episode. I thought it was a. You know, she was a great. She she played the cameo very well, and it wasn't a very. It wasn't a hilarious episode, but it just closes out the season so well and opens up the next season so well that. I think that's why I liked it so much. Okay, well, it's just I mean, such I'll, a great button on the. It's such a great transition.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'll I'll have to take your word on it. It opening up season seven very well because I mean we'll we'll obviously get into mm. that uh, to come. But it it does it does wrap up. Well, I shouldn't say wrap up. It does touch on a lot of things like from past episodes. There are so many callbacks that we that we touched on. Yeah. Uh. So it, it is a very good way to to finish up season six. I think. Even though even yeah, though I'm yeah. like, eh, there were funnier episodes, there were better episodes, I'll agree, Bette Midler's cameo was great.
0: Yeah. yeah. De- de-
1: definitely not like uh, wasted yeah. space or
0: anything. It's not a great episode, but it's a great finale.
1: Uh, okay, uh, so do we have any homework for this week?
0: Yes, we're uh, going to learn what Beaches is about. Okay. Um, we'll talk about the, the Reverend Sun Young Moon. We'll try to figure out what Frank was saying in Korean, because we know it's not this guy, this is not my kind of guy. Or maybe <laughs> it is, but we'll find out. Um, Jay Peterman, we'll look into the Jay Peterman catalog, and we'll do a, like we said, a kiddie pool dive where the signs are posted that there's no lifeguard, and you'll definitely <laughs> hurt yourself if you do this. Uh, into We'll look into the Kerrigan saga. <laughs>
1: Uh, uh Okay, what do we want to do for cover art this week?
0: Um, could you get like George trucking Bet, like a freeze frame of that? I that can. Be good. I can
1: definitely try. Like as he's running through her, and I'm sure it's definitely a stunt double. Which I, I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> whenever Bet, quote unquote Bet, had her catcher's mask on, is definitely her stunt double. Like the, the hair. No, I
0: didn't notice that.
1: The, the hair is <laughs> not even similar.
0: Oh that's amazing. Oh man, I don't know how I didn't notice that. <laughs> so you mean you, you when obviously when George, probably George and Bet are stunt doubles in the actual stunt, but when when George when is else just like is it at, their stunt double when
1: double? George is at the bat and oh, really? and Bet just has her mask on. It is definitely not her.
0: Huh, but she like There's that, so I guess there must be a a slight cut or something. Yeah, that's probably it. You know what? Why? I bet they wouldn't ensure Bette Midler sitting behind home plate even on a television set. Like, Mm -hmm. but yeah, because there must be a a small cut because she walks around George and puts the helmet back on and then gets in the crouched position. But there's probably a little switch. There's probably a little cut in between there, like mm-hmm. a close-up on George or something. <laughs> yeah, where they made the switch—that's uh, hilarious. I de- definitely, I definitely didn't know they got me.
1: But yeah, I can definitely grab that as cover art for for George just yeah, exactly. trucking through Bette Midler. Um, <laughs>
0: uh,
1: okay, so let's uh, let's see if we can come up with a better description. Uh, we had George is suspected of injuring Bette Midler in a softball game.
0: I mean, he does injure her. He's not suspected of it. Um, <laughs> uh george i mean what about george injures bet midler in a softball game is that (laughs) is that good i uh, Uh, i kind of like it i yeah it works
1: yeah it i think it's good (laughs) and then just gets rid of the is suspected of like no we we clearly see he does do this
0: yeah like, th- this is yeah, this is not upper interpretation.
1: He definitely does injure her
0: uh, <laughs> or maybe the Hulu description writer is like us and was like, was she really injured, though? That's the suspect part.
1: Mm, maybe, maybe. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, OK,
0: so uh, w- what were you going to say before I got into homework? Well, I was going to say that because this is the season six finale, do we have to, should we go over our favorite episodes? Uh, I was going to ask you
1: this. Uh, Could we, with our interview with Dr. Matt at the beginning of this episode, could we do that at the beginning of next week's episode? Because I I need a little more time to prepare my top of season six, unless you are ready to go with yours, then I could just, I don't know, make something up.
0: Nope, I was going to suggest the same thing because if this podcast lasts any longer, my wife's going to be very upset. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have been recording for seven hours.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, no, no, I'm totally fine with that. If we open next week with, uh, you know, it'll fit in because that'll that'll put a button on season six for us. Like we go over the last homework of the of the last episode and then the last, uh, our, our favorite episodes. All
1: right. But so- also
0: because I would have to leave, I would have to leave the room because uh, the first half of season six is in a totally different notebook.
1: <laughs> okay, so we'll we'll do that at the beginning of next week, uh, which we cool. are going to be talking about season seven, episode one, The Engagement. Uh, if you're looking on Hulu, uh, I don't know what happened here, but the original air date is listed as December 3rd, 2002, uh, which is... <sighs> not correct um, but I did look uh, it up the original air date is uh, September 21st 1995 and if you're looking in TV Guide that night you are going to see in an effort to grow up George proposes marriage to former girlfriend Susan
0: mm, okay awesome yeah we're, we're getting we're getting into the meat in season 7 right off the bat so <laughs> I like it alright is that it? that's it alright for No Hugging No Learning I'm Tim Murphy I'm Ted Hollowell. be good